Mr. Li Hongji, the founder of Falun Gong, was born on May 13, 1951, into an ordinary family, in Gongjuling city of Jilin province. Mr. Li had once joined the military, and being transferred in 1982 to work for a grain and oil company in Changchun city. He has, since childhood, practiced a private unknown Buddhist discipline. Mr. Li was just a common worker at the time. He lived with his family in a dormitory provided by his work unit. The living condition was rather modest. In 1984 Mr. Li modified the practice into a Qigong form that would be suitable for the general public. He named the practice Falun Gong. On May 13, 1992, Mr. Li held in Changchun City the first public class. During the two years from 1992 to 1994, he held 54 workshops around the country. To make his practice available to more people, the fee Mr. Li charged was the lowest in all of China. A 10-day workshop cost only 40 yuan, a third to half that charged by other Qigong masters. Other masters had complained Mr. Li's low fees. In response, China's Scientific Qigong Research Association suggested to Mr. Li that he raise his fares. Mr. Li declined, however, out of consideration for his students' financial circumstances. In the early period of his public teachings, Mr. Li would typically travel with few students, and living conditions were said to have been the most difficult. Little money was put into material comfort or convenience. When he first arrived in Beijing, nobody knew who he was. He and his students spent their first few nights in the city staying in the crowded train station. Bench served as a bed. Often he had to hurry from class to class, rushing about China's many cities, owing to the demands for his teachings. Often he couldn't even manage to purchase a train ticket with a seat. When tired, he could often sit only on the train's floor. When hungry, he could often just fill his stomach with instant noodles. When sleepy, he could only nap by leaning on the nearby chair or wall. When Mr. Li first began to spread the exercises and teachings of Falun Gong, there are numerous practices of Qigong in China. Phony practice mixed in with the genuine ones. Good people mixed in with the bad. Things were complicated at the time, although many people had indeed in those years gained better health from doing traditional practices such as Tai Chi and the five animal movements. There were also many fake Qigong masters who allegedly duped people. Many persons spent a fortune seeing and studying with the Qigong masters hoping to be healed. Many ultimately made with no avail. In September of 1992, Falun Gong was recognized by the Scientific Qigong Research Association as an affiliated Qigong practice. In December of the same year, Mr. Li brought some of his understudies with him to participate in the Oriental Health Expo held that year at China World Trade Center in Beijing. Li Hongji's name and Falun Gong spread like a wildfire there quickly creating a stir. The executive director of the Health Expo, Mr. Li Rusong, and the chief consultant of the event, Mr. Zhang Shui spoke highly of Mr. Li's Qigong power and the contribution his Falun Gong was making. Professor Zhang said this, Mr. Li can be considered a star of the 1992 Oriental Health Expo. I have seen him created many miracles. I saw patients with pains and patients in wheelchairs and those who have challenges moving about came to him for help. After receiving treatment from Mr. Li, they could miraculously stand up and walk. As the chief consultant to the expo, I'm here to responsibly recommend Falun Gong to you. I think this practice will indeed bring people healthy bodies and new deportment. In 1993, Mr. Li offered free health treatment to the delegates of the Convention for Justice and Courage. The Chinese Ministry of Public Security wrote a letter to the Scientific Qigong Research Association, thanking Mr. Li. 
Meanwhile, the People's Public Security Daily published an article saying that most of the model workers there had very good results after receiving the treatment. With the spreading of Falun Gong, numerous people were benefited physically and spiritually. Many recovered from incurable illness or refractory conditions, therefore encouraged family members and friends to try out. The practice's founder, Li Hongzhi came to be called honorifically Master Li. In few years, the number of practitioners reached 20 million, and kept growing with robust momentum. In 1995, Mr. Li concluded teaching of his practice in mainland China. Early that year, he went to Paris to give a class, his first teaching outside of China. While in Paris, he had a small meeting with several Chinese diplomats, one of whom was China's ambassador to France. He was then invited to give a speech at the Culture and Education Division of the Chinese Embassy in France. Afterward, he traveled to Sweden, and later to the United States. Falun Gong began to grow around the world. As of January of 1996, Mr. Li's book Xuan Falun was ranked among the 10 bestsellers by the Beijing Youth Daily. Although by June, the Deputy Minister of Propaganda, Xu Guangchun, to seek personal political gain, revoked the registration number of Xuan Falun, the pirate copies of the book were still in great demand. When Jiang Zemin started the persecution of Falun Gong in 1999, he claimed that he never heard of Falun Gong. As a matter of fact, Jiang's wife Wang Yiping was herself practicing Falun Gong in 1994. One time during exercise, Wang discovered that Jiang, by her side, surreptitiously emulating the movement. Jiang was both embarrassed and angry when Wang had caught on him. It's at that point that Jiang ordered his wife to stop practicing Falun Gong. He said, even my wife believed in Li Hongji, who is going to believe in me, the general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party. In the beginning, Jiang was not against Falun Gong, and had read Zhuan Falun. However, what he wanted to hear from Master Li most, was details about his previous lives, prediction of his political future, and how to stay in power. Mr. Li knew his intention and stated that cure illness was fine, but no politics. Hence, Jiang Zemin began nursing his hatred. Significantly, what Falun Gong was changing wasn't limited to physical health, but included moral and spiritual aspects as well. With China's market transition, a corresponding decline in moral values was noticeable, with the pursuit of material gain increasingly coming to trump more traditional values. Falun Gong teaches truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. Its aspiration is becoming a better and moral person. Its widespread led to a more stable Chinese society. On March 17, 1997, the Dallin Daily run an article, entitled An Anonymous Old Man's Silent Contribution. The report told a story of a man in his 70s, named Sheng Lijian, who voluntarily in one year, built four roads for villagers, the length of which was totaled 1100 meters. When people asked him, how much he should be paid, the old man replied, I practice Falun Gong. I'm just trying to do something good for people, and I won't accept payment. The Dalian Evening News on February 21, 1998 reported the story of Yuan Hongtsun, of the Dalian Naval Vessel Institute. 
On the afternoon of February 14th, Yuan dove three meters deep into the ice-covered waters to rescue a child, who had fallen into the ice hole on the Zayu River. Yuan was praised as a true hero. His institute awarded him a silver medal for bravery. By that time, he had been practicing Falun Gong for two years. On July 10, 1998, the China Economic Times run a story titled Now I Can Stand. It told the story of an old woman named Xie Shufen, who was diagnosed with paraplegia, stemming from vertebral damage. Though she had been bedridden for 16 years, after taking up Falun Gong she was able to walk again. On the morning of November 8, 1998, leaders of the Martial Arts Association of Guangdong Sports Commission watched a large-scale morning group exercise session of 5,000 Falun Gong students. They asked the students how they felt after doing Falun Gong, and the replies they heard were more than encouraging. There were nearly 250,000 people practice Falun Gong in Guangdong province at the time. China's top officials learned about Falun Gong very early on. The founder of Falun Gong, Mr. Li Hongji started to teach the practice in May of 1992. Soon after, there was a sizable practice site in Beijing's Purple Bamboo Park. Many practitioners, at the time, were retired high-ranking officials. They belonged to the true older generation of proletariat revolutionaries, as the CCP called it. Some had even taken part in the famed Long March of 1934. The head of the 610 office, Li Lanqing, knew Falun Gong from the time when he used to be the Minister of Foreign Trade and Economic Cooperation. One of his subordinate, a Falun Gong adherent, introduced to him how Falun Gong benefits the state and the nation, and gave him a copy of Zhuan Falun. Luo Gan similarly had heard of Falun Gong early on. In 1995, Luo's former supervisor and colleague, at the Academy of Mechanical Sciences, introduced him to Falun Gong. Hu Jintao, China's former leader, learned Falun Gong in 1998. His former classmate at Tsinghua University, Zhang Mengyi, was terminally ill before taking up the practice of Falun Gong, and managed to escape from the jaws of death. At an alumni union in 1998 and 1999, Zhang personally shared with Hu Jintao, his experience of recovery. He also mailed a copy of the book Falun Gong to Hu Jintao's wife, in hopes that the couple might in kind come to enjoy better health. Hu's wife sent a postcard to Zhang, wishing to express the couple's gratitude. One retired officer with a surname of Zhou had been Zhu Rongji superior. He practiced Falun Gong and introduced the practice to Zhu Rongji. Li Peng, meanwhile, was no outsider to Falun Gong either. He had read the book Zhuan Falun himself. He obtained his copy from a vice minister in the Ministry of Electrical Power Industry, which Li used to head. Since Jiang Zeman lived next door to Li Peng at Zhang Nanhai, Li Peng personally gave a copy of Zhuan Falun to Jiang. Sometime before 1996, a Falun Gong practitioner in the Purple Bamboo Park area, went to Jiang Zeman's home to teach Jiang's wife, Wang Yiping, the exercise. Jiang was emulating the moves too. But when Wang liked to teach him, he felt disgraced and simply would not allow her to practice anymore. At the time, Jiang loved to emulate Master Li's gestures and movements. The most typical position he used was that hands across in front of the abdomen. Jiang had used to let his hands dangle at the sides when he spoke in public, but later after finding that Master Li usually keeps his hands folded in front of the abdomen, he followed suit. However, Jiang's belly is so big that he has to put his hands on his belly, Jiang's former supervisor at Wuhan Thermal Power Research Institute practiced Falun Gong as well. At one of the institute's parties, former colleagues of Jiang spoke with him about Falun Gong. 
1996, when Jiang inspected CCTV, he saw that a staff member had a copy of Zhuan Falun on his desk. Jiang said to the person, Zhuan Falun, this is a good book. When Jiang was inspecting a dike during the 1998 flood, he happened upon a group of citizens, toiling away as part of relief efforts. Jiang felt a sense of pride seeing them, and told his subordinates, these people must be party members. He greeted the group, and only to learn that they were students of Falun Gong. Jiang burned with jealousy, he turned his back to the group and left, his countenance was solemn. Falun Gong's pronounced effects on health and moral values made it spread at an incredible speed. Among the CCP's high-ranking officials, almost everyone in power had read Zhuan Falun. The wives of all seven members of the Standing Committee of the Politburo of the Central Committee of CCP had learned the practice of Falun Gong. By 1999, over 100 million people in mainland China had read Zhuan Falun. All of this was subjected to Jiang Zemin's hatred and envy. The Qigong master Li Hongji had numerous students, there were bound to be a Judas or two. During the initial period when Mr. Li was spreading Falun Gong, a few of the practice activity coordinators from Changchun City violated multiple times the stipulations of Falun Gong. They embezzled and diverted the extremely tight funds the practice was working with, and tampered with its exercises. Mr. Li repeatedly showed patience to the group, sources told but they continued down that path and ended up turning against Falun Gong. Beginning in 1994, the group wrote letters to 13 ministries and commissions directly under the state council, lodging false accusations against Falun Gong. They wrote three volumes enumerating 12 charges, which though lacking factual basis, amounted to 1,000 pages. It's this very same material that would later become, in 1999, a subterfuge for the CCP when it launched its suppression of Falun Gong. In February 9, 1995 the Falun Gong Research Society of China submitted three detailed reports to China's Scientific Qigong Research Association and other departments. Many leaders were surprised upon learning the truth of the matter. They responded, Falun Gong is so good, why didn't you contact us early? We didn't know about you. Please keep us posted in the future. And that ended the 1994 episode of the defamatory materials. Back in February in 1980, the first conference on extraordinary somatic functioning was held in Shanghai. In Beijing, Hu Yaobang, the general secretary of the CCP at the time, to prove the existing of the supernatural ability, personally wrote a note on a piece of paper and sealed it in a container. No one but he knew its content. He asked his secretary to take the sealed note to the conference. His secretary returned to Beijing with his note still sealed, along with the wording, read from the sealed note by the person with supernatural abilities who examined the container that he had personally sealed to ensure it hadn't been tampered with, looked at the word from the person with supernatural abilities, confirmed its accuracy, and came to believe that supernatural abilities do exist. Soon afterward, who instructed the Ministry of Propaganda of the CCP Central Committee to follow a policy of three no's on matters of Qigong, no publicizing, no debating, no criticizing. 
he also instructed that a small number of people be allowed to research the phenomenon. In April of 1982, the ministry thus proceeded to issue a notice that the message was to be passed on. And this was the well-known policy of three no's. However, someone acted on the contrary with a hidden agenda. Huzuo Shu, Luo Gan's brother-in-law, was known as the academician of the two academies. He'd be more accurately described as a political opportunist. He'd be good at passing himself out as a statesman while in the company of scientists, and a scientist in the company of politicians. Ha was extremely skilled in critiquing genuine science on politically informed ideological ground. Because of his political contribution by way of attacking politically incorrect sciences, and safeguarding party ideology, Ha was recommended, in strong terms, by Red Flag, the state-run journal, for promotion to the Chinese Academy of Sciences. Following his promotion, Ha continued to utilize his credentials in the political service for the CCP, especially for its top leaders. In 2001, when Jiang Zemin's theory of three represents was being trumpeted, Ha gave a speech at a conference on quantum mechanics, at the Chinese Academy of Sciences, in which he declared, the laws of quantum mechanics confirm to the spirit of Jiang Zemin's three represents. Several honest scholars with integrity, promptly left the conference. Many more felt indignant, but dared not speak out. In May of 1998, Huzuo Xu fomented an incident involving Beijing television. He raked a story up about Falun Gong for a program run on Beijing TV, called Beijing Express. He told a reporter that a PhD student at the Chinese Academy of Sciences had developed psychosis, as a result of practicing Falun Gong. Many persons who had benefited from the practice of Falun Gong, went to Beijing television, of their own accord, to explain the truth of the matter. While the student did exhibit abnormal behavior, it had nothing to do with Falun Gong. One person at the station, a deputy director noticed the peacefulness of the group. Upon learning the truth of things, he decided at once to produce another program. This time was to undo the negative impact of the erroneous story. The issue was resolved satisfactorily. One deputy mayor in Beijing personally instructed the Beijing-based media not to run any of Hu's leading articles. However, Huzuo Shu set his sight elsewhere to defame Falun Gong. In April of 1999, Ha published an article entitled I Don't Support Young People Practice in Qigong, in a small newspaper in the city of Tianjin, again framing up Falun Gong, which made several thousand followers of the practice, going out of their own accord to see the editorial department of the newspaper, and talk about the matter. But just as the group was about to end what had been a calm and rational meeting, and the publisher of the newspaper was ready to publish a correction, the Tianjin city government suddenly dispatched riot police, to disperse those who had gathered outside the office. A total of 45 Falun Gong practitioners were beaten and arrested. The Tianjin municipal government then told those at present, that the order to quell the crowd had come from Beijing, and thus encouraged the group to go to Beijing to report the matter. Huzhuaxu knew, that his in-law. Luo Gan had seen a way to win favor with Jiang Zemin by attacking Falun Gong, and thus he did his utmost to discredit Falun Gong in the name of science. All of this was part of their plan to trap Falun Gong practitioners, and later on, indeed, touched off the vicious persecution of Falun Gong. Jiang Zemin had read Zhuan Falun and knew Falun Gong was a beneficial practice. He knew all of these accusations were false. However, with so many people were practicing Falun Gong, and believing in Mr. Li's teachings, particularly that nobody took his theory of three represents seriously, Jiang had been jealous. All of these false accusations offered him a good chance to initiate a crackdown.
Although Falun Gong's spread was touching people's heart and benefiting the nation and its citizens, in 1996 Vice Minister of the Central Ministry Propaganda, Xu Guangchun, seeking political gains for himself, summoned to a meeting the editors-in-chief of the ten major newspapers run by the Central Committee, and ordered to publish an article maligning Falun Gong. Afterward, the present publication administration under the Central Ministry of Propaganda, violating the policy of three no's, prohibited the publication of all Falun Gong's books. However, by that time, there were adherents of Falun Gong working at almost every major newspaper. And in the Ministry of Public Security, notably many chiefs and directors of the Public Security Bureau and Public Security Department in various cities, were practicing Falun Gong. The relevant government's offices received hundreds of thousands of letters of support from the public describing what Falun Gong was all about. The attempted 1996 suppression of Falun Gong thus fizzled out before it got out off ground. Luo Gan then attempted twice, one in 1997 and again in 1998, to suppress Falun Gong, on the ground that it was a heretic cult. This was not because, notably, Falun Gong had done something wrong, instead, it was because Luo had been appointed the secretary of the Commission on Political and Legal Affairs, which was about as high of a rank as he could reach at the time. And as such, he needed to do something impressive, if he wishes to gain further promotion. Just as servicemen are most esteemed in times of war, Luo wanted to muddy the water of his country, so that he himself as the secretary of the Commission on Political and Legal Affairs, would become the political focus of things. He ordered the Regional Public Security Department to collect evidence. Agents were sent to the practice sites of Falun Gong. They studied the Falun Gong's main text Xuan Falun as planted agents. But Falun Gong, as a rule, has no secret to hide. Its activities were open, and the public was welcomed. Persons came and left freely, with no registration or membership fee involved. Many of the planted agents, in fact, decided to take up the practice for real. Luo grew worried that evidence incriminating Falun Gong was not turning up. It was at this time that he learned that those charged with overseeing Qigong in the Ministry of Public Security, typically knew a lot about Qigong, and many were themselves practicing it. It turned out the relevant persons in charge wouldn't implement his orders. Luo had begun as early as 1996 to restructure the Ministry of Public Security. He transferred to other department all of those who were handling Qigong affairs, and those who were knowledgeable about Qigong. The two investigations conducted by Luo, did, however, have some severe adverse consequences for Falun Gong in some areas. For example, the Public Security Bureau in Zhaoyang City, Liaoning Province, issued in 1998 a certain document number 37, entitled Notice on Forbidding Illegal Activities of Falun Gong. The item was sent to its subsidiary public security branches. Some of Falun Gong's volunteer helpers were fined multiple times, with total fines over 4,000 yuan. No receipt or only unofficial receipts were given. More than 40 people went to the Ministry of Public Security to petition authority on the matter. More than 1,000 persons submitted jointed complaints to Chaoyang Public Security Bureau, on the ground that the Bureau's actions were unlawful, and violating citizens' rights. In other areas, such as Xinjiang, Heilongjiang, Hebei, and Fujian provinces, local public security officers used force to disperse people who had gathered in public to do the exercises of Falun Gong. They unlawfully ransacked adherents' homes, broke into private residences, and confiscated personal properties. Upon learning of what Luo had done, Zhurongji had reprimanded Luo, criticized him for using the most advanced spy tactics to deal with common people, instead of focusing on more major and serious matters. Luo was quite dejected by this. 
unremorseful, Luo backed on his good relationship with Jiang Zemin, and dared to withhold a positive memo on Falun Gong written by Zhu Rongji, stopping it from being passed on to subsidiary departments. The State Sports Administration carried out a comprehensive investigation of Falun Gong in May of 1998. The survey found that overall Falun Gong was effective in improving the health and fitness level of 97.9% of those involved. And it had achieved remarkable results in improving society's stability and moral ethics. During the same period, an investigation conducted by non-governmental organizations in Dalian City, Beijing, and other places, arrived at similar results. In 1998, several retired senior officials of the National People's Congress, with Chao Xi as the head, launched their investigation into Falun Gong. The investigation concluded that Falun Gong has many benefits, and does nothing to harm the state or the people. It was submitted to the Politburo headed by Jiang Zemin. In February of 1999, a major magazine in the United States, U.S. News & World Report, run an article that quoted a Chinese government source as saying, that Falun Gong could save each person 1,000 yuan in annual medical fees. If 100 million people were practicing it, 100 billion yuan would be saved per year in medical fees. Premier Zhu Rongji said very happily, the country could use the money right now. By early 1999, media outlet in China stated in their fitness reportage that 100 million people were practicing Falun Gong. The book Zhuan Falun was translated into many foreign languages and was being read in 30 countries and territories around the world. Many persons of non-Chinese descents traveled thousands of miles to China to learn Chinese, just so that they could read the original Chinese text of Zhuan Falun. The Chinese culture, despite its experiences in modern times, once again, spread to the world. The 1999 Tsinghua Alumni Union happened to be on April 25th. The day 10,000 followers of Falun Gong gathered in a demonstration at the State Letter and Complaint Bureau near Zhongnanhai. Hu Jintao and his wife saw the dramatic scene on their way back to Zhongnanhai from the alumni party. Worrying about a possible crackdown, Hu right away passed on words to his former classmate, Falun Gong practitioner, Zhang Mengye, to be careful. In 1995, Zhang Zemin began to promote his theory of so-called three represents. Few, if any, really took it seriously. By contrast, however, Zhang could find the Falun Gong's guiding book Zhuan Falun just about everywhere. And he knew the number of Falun Gong practitioners had been growing at a torrid pace. From time to time, somebody, in Zhang's present, would express admiration for Master Li's noble character and exemplary conduct. This, was a lot for Zhang Zemin's ego to handle. In 1999, the pseudoscientist, Huzuoshu published an article in Tianjin to frame up Falun Gong. Several thousand Falun Gong followers went to the newspaper to clarify the truth. The publisher was about to issue a correction when the municipal government sent riot police, who had beaten up and dispersed the crowd, and arrested 45 people. The Tianjin government claimed that they were just following orders from Beijing. The persons then in charge of Falun Gong Research Society, among whom were Li Chang, Wang Zhuwen, 
and Ji Lai Wu, discussed the situation, and decided to lodge an appeal with the State Letter and Complaint Bureau on April 25. Those who heard of the decision contacted one another, with the result being some 10,000 persons appearing at the State Letter and Complaint Bureau, located adjacent to Zhang Nanhai, that day. Their requests were, first, the Tianjin government to release the fellow practitioners it had detained, second, freedom to practice Falun Gong to be ensured, third, once again the publications of Falun Gong books to be allowed in China. The episode was known in history as the April 25th event. Premier Zhu Rongji was himself twice ostracized under Mao Zedong. And just one year before, he had written a positive valuation of Falun Gong. So it was that Zhu did something in stark contrast to the CCP's manner of handling petitioners, that is, not making contact, not dialoguing, and not make compromises. He had himself a meeting with the representatives of the petitioners, and instructed Tianjin to release the people it detained. As for Jiang Zemin, he was part of the Tiananmen massacre, as well as its biggest beneficiary, due to this, the event of April 25th was downright frightening. Zhang promptly called Beijing garrison force, and asked whether the army stationed in Beijing could immediately march to the scene of Zhang Nanhai, and drive out via force the surrounding Falun Gong adherents, if they did not disperse at midnight. The one who answered the phone declared at once, to follow Chairman Jiang's order at any time, later Zhang would promote the person several ranks. In the afternoon, Zhang called Jisi Gui, director of the Central Guard Bureau, and told him to enact martial law as soon as possible. Zhang said he wanted to come out and personally to inspect the scene. Zhang then went about inspecting the scene from behind the tinted glass of a bulletproof passenger vehicle in which he rode. Outside in front of the Falun Gong demonstrators, was the cordon set up expressly for Jiang's inspection. In Jiang's view, that so many people practice Falun Gong meant it was competing with the party for the masses, that it was because Falun Gong had a tight organization that its students adopted a peaceful and reasonable means of demonstration that the Falun Gong group coming to Zhang Nanhai was openly challenging him. What drove his irritation especially was that he saw at least a few dozen servicemen, bearing military insignia who apparently followed Falun Gong, instead of himself, the chairman of the military commission of the CCP. The meeting that took place inside Zhang Nanhai was not all that smooth, however. The officials made no promises in the discussion because for one, Jiang Zemin hadn't told them the bottom line as how to handle the meeting. And secondly, Luo Gan had been trying to find fault with Falun Gong. Later, Li Chang along with Wang Yuxian and three others came to Zhang Nanhai to join the dialogue. Some 10,000 Falun Gong students waited quietly outside Zhang Nanhai. The dialogue ended not until after 8 p.m. Upon learning then, of the release of those detained in Tianjin, the crowd outside the compound quietly left the scene, and not a piece of paper was left behind. The group had gone out of its way to keep the site clean and orderly. International media portrayed, in a positive light, both the Falun Gong demonstrators for their composure, and the government for its open-mindedness. The event was seen as the first non-violent rational dialogue to have taken place between officials and the public, since the CCP had come to power. However, Jiang Zemin flew into a rage. He had been jealous of the legendary master Li Hongji. In addition, his old enemy, Chao Shi had been a Falun Gong supporter. Coupled with this was the fact that international media reported in a positive light on both parties involved in the event, which undoubtedly boosted the merit of Zhu Rongji. This only served to fan the flame of Jiang's jealousy. Taking a page from Mao Zedong, who launched the Cultural Revolution in 1966, with a letter entitled Bombard the Central Command, Jiang also wrote a letter to the Politburo on the evening of April 25th. 
To garner support for his decision among the members of the Standing Committee, Jiang in his letter accused Falun Gong of having connections with overseas and Western forces, and demanded the Communist Party, using Marx-Leninism, defeat Falun Gong. The letter was later printed and distributed, as a notice from the General Office of the Central Committee of the CCP, to be studied and implemented. The day after the event of April 25, Luo Gan, Jia Cheng Lin and the members of the Standing Committee of the Politburo, held a meeting to discuss how the issue should be handled. Of the seven members of the Standing Committee of the Politburo, all but Jiang openly expressed objection to the idea of suppression. Jiang insisted that the issue was a political one, involving the very existence of the party and the nation. Exterminated, exterminated, decisively exterminated, Jiang flailed his hand shouting. In order to force the other committee members over to his side, Jiang Zemin used the Ministry of State Security to fabricate alleged evidence, claiming that the founder of Falun Gong was supported by the CIA, and that the CIA had furnished Falun Gong with tens of millions of dollars. Even the French, blindly believed the CCP's misinformation. Only later, after a long investigation by their own intelligence system, did the French come to realize that the CIA rumor was bogus, and that they could let down their guard against Falun Gong. So it was that Jiang, acting on the so-called conclusive evidence, inflated the issue to that Falun Gong would spell the demise of the party and the country, and must be suppressed at all cost. Nothing does the CCP fear as much as its demise, and nobody wanted on his hand the responsibility of the demise of the nation. Jiang thus managed to unify the group's viewpoints, and started up the CCP's violent suppressive machinery, with Falun Gong as its target. What Jiang had in mind, was a classic case of Zhao Gao calling Stag a horse so that he could finally see who was really on his side. Jiang came to see, that Falun Gong was a pacifist group that made a practice of turning the other cheek, and an easy target he could swiftly eliminate within but three months. Afterward, he would be regarded as having saved the party at a critical moment, and enjoy enormous political gains.